What is the key to passion? Why do we feel that magnetic pull, that overwhelming draw to another person? I have one word for you, polarity. As Tony says, things in common make a relationship work, but it's the differences that spark the passion. And those differences are all about our core energies. See, we all have both masculine and feminine energy, and your leading energy reflects your inner nature and values. It's not based on gender. Women can have masculine cores and men can have feminine cores. But the more opposed the sexual energies are between two people in a relationship, the stronger that attraction will be. So many of us, though, lose that passion over time when feminine energy is put on a masculine mask or when masculine energies wear a feminine mask. That's why if you want to ignite that spark again in your relationship, it's absolutely key for both you and your partner to cultivate your core energy. Or if you're single and you want to attract someone of the opposite energy, you must learn how to embrace your feminine or masculine core. To learn more about the keys to polarity and to discover if you're masculine or feminine in your own core, take our five minute quiz. Go to tonyrobbins.com polarity. That's P-O-L-A-R-I-C-Y. And take that test today. Why do people cheat, even those in happy marriages? And what can affairs help us understand about intimacy? We tend to think that the act of infidelity is the ultimate betrayal. We judge those who do it. We shroud them in shame. We dismiss them, label them, categorize them as cheaters. We also judge people who stay in relationships after being cheated on. We often do so because we don't have a complete understanding of infidelity. In the last episode, you heard Tony and Esther Perel talk about who we are in our relationships and what we want in our partners. And now, in this intimate conversation, they dive into the complex world of infidelity, challenging assumptions and cultural conditioning to offer a new look at affairs. What you learn may surprise you. Even if you've never experienced infidelity in a relationship, odds are you know someone who has. This episode will not only allow you to approach the subject of betrayal with much more empathy and understanding, it'll also give you a deeper look at our basic human needs and why we do the seemingly unthinkable when it comes to our intimate relationship. So anything having to do with novelty, with surprise, with, with protecting an erotic space, uh, all of those things is where people will reconnect sexually. I want you to make love with your clothes on. Most people, after they are together, first they undress, then they go into the bed, and then they start to do the deeds. You know, many people remember there is that when they think about moments of passion they think about making out actually they think about they think about tearing each other's clothes off as well but a lot of it is actually it's everything the before it's the uncertainty will it happen won't it happen where is this going you know i want you to go and set the room up create an environment and just to Everything that you don't typically do. If typically you first undress, then you go to bed, don't ever take your clothes off. Just play with the, play with the parts of you that you have completely left out. And the reason it became so clear to me is because now that I've written and worked on infidelity for all these years, everybody was talking about reconnecting with the lost parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's really what people and, often are looking for in a relationship, yeah, aren't they? Yep, yep. And so the lost parts of yourself, you know, they are all around your house. Just go there. Don't just go for the sure bet because it works. Because in, in passion, what works is a disaster. 
Well, you know, what's, what's ironic is I always tell people what makes a relationship work is things in common. It's certainty. What makes a relationship passionate is differences, different energies, different mysteries, different elements. And it's not different values, but it's those differences that make something passionate. And so that's the dynamic, as we always talk about, you know, in the six human needs. I, I can tell you in my own life, I can not vividly, I, I grew up in an environment where four different fathers, I didn't want to ever have a divorce. And I was so unhappy in the very beginning of the relationship, but I got my love through the children. I pretty much supplemented and because they weren't my blood children. You know, I, I was 24 years old and I had a 17 year old son instantly because she was 13 years my senior, an 11 year old daughter, a five year old son, and then a boy on the way. And so as they grew up and began to expand, and I can remember vividly when the kids were no longer there, it was like the love was no longer there because we were such different people. No one tells you how to pick your partner. And I can remember vividly for my Achiever friends listening, you know, I'm on stage for what to me would have been, you know, ecstasy at that time. It was like my biggest vision. I had 13,000 people in New York at the Continental Center and I'm doing what I love. And, you know, when you serve people so much, so much love comes back to you. And I'm experiencing so much of that. And then a person came up on the stage and whispered in my ear, my company had gone public that day. And they said, your stock's worth $400 million. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then I went right back to what I was doing, which really fulfilled me. And I was high as a kite all day, more really from doing what I love than even the economics, silly as that sounds. But when I went home that night, I was depressed. And the reason was because I was adapting. I, I constantly changed. I became a pleaser. You know, you describe that person if you go away, you left me alone. It's like, that's what happened in my childhood. So it's like, I came home and I was so unhappy because I was being something I wasn't to try to please this person. It was a good human being, but we're so different. And I finally made the decision. I said, you know what? I'm not going to be one of those VH1 movies. You know, those TV shows, if you're old enough to remember, where they used to always have a, a behind the music, they'd call it. That's right, Marin. They'd, they'd, you know, they'd be this great rock group and they'd hit the peak of their life and then somebody would overdose on drugs or drive their car into a wall or something. So the toughest decision of my life was to end that relationship. And it was the best decision because it led to my sage, my Bonnie Pearl. And we've been together 18 years and the best 18 years of my life. But most people will not make those decisions. And the way I did is I sat down and said, what do I really want? Instead of judging my partner, what do I want? And then the, as you and I both talk about, who do I got to become to attract that kind of person, keep that person engaged for the rest of my life? So that was my focus. But today, what happens for most people is affairs. And you've been putting some expertise into that. And I know it's your next book that's coming out right away. So... Tell me, I know when you go to conferences, the first question people ask you is like, what percentage of people have affairs? Tell us the percentage, but more importantly, what creates an affair today and can they be healed? So just to put this in context, like it's, it's a very strange thing to say, right? I wrote a book about affairs. I wrote a book about relationships. And in order to understand what makes good relationships, I can't just go and look at the ones that work as planned. I actually had to go and look at the ones where there is betrayal, where there is a violation of trust, where there is deception. It's from looking at those relationships that I can really glean the lessons of what makes a good relationship. It's very interesting. Instead of going to look for those who could inspire, I went to look at the inspiration from those who flunked and those who went through the crisis and then those who actually re-emerged from it. And that's when I really got a sense as to what makes a good relationship. It's a, it, it took me on, an, on a journey that I didn't anticipate at all. So it's through the lens of affairs, but it's really 
if you if you read this book, it's it's almost it 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 will give you everything you need to know about being a couple that remains connected and passionate at least for a long time. So I'm 35 years with Jack, you know, and um, and I always say we have had many marriages, like most people these days, we've had at least two and maybe three. It's just that I've done it with the same person. That's <laughs> beautiful. You know, because because really we've gotten this, we've been able to 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 come constantly kind of reinvent and recreate and and but that's what people are doing they're doing it through their affairs they're doing it through a new partner or they're doing it with the same partner in the end if we don't grow if we don't change we dry up and we die and so in the name of that growth and that change people will do all kinds of things I, if mating in captivity looked at the dilemmas of desire inside the relationship then the state of affairs looks as what happens when desire goes looking elsewhere. And I wanted to look at affairs because if I ask in your audience, if I ever come back to Date With Destiny and I look at these thousands of people and I say, how many of you have been affected by infidelity? 80% or more of the people will raise their hand. It yeah. is an experience. Have it, they may have had it with their parents. Yes, 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 exactly. They, your entire psychology. Yes. I remember I would meet my mother at Four Fathers. I used to meet, I met Jim Robbins, who adopted me, uh, my fourth father, at Bojack's, which is like a Denny's, because my mom couldn't get out. And I was the one who had to go tell her affairs. She's not there yet. And oh it, it, it freaked freak my brain out, but I love my mother so much that I had to make it okay. But at the same time, it didn't feel okay to me at all. So. But, you know, so I think everybody's affected by affairs to some extent whether they realize it or not, because somewhere in their family, there's been one, even if they've not been affected by one person. That's right. It's, you've been the child of, you've been the sibling of, you've been the lover, you've been the strayer, you've been the victim of it, you've been the friend of it who is watching. I mean, it, it is one of the most common experiences and one of the least understood. It is infidelity. How common is, how common is it today in, in the world we live in? Look extraordinarily common for two reasons. One, because women are closing the gender gap very fast. You know, until recently, infidelity was basically a license for men and a, and a, and a threat to her life for women, be it through being killed, which she still can be in nine countries today, or be it through, more, through child mortality, pregnancy, you name it. You know, she was ruined either financially, either by reputation, either by, by death, uh, by natural death. So what has really, really changed is that women have closed the gender gap. Give the woman a car and then we'll know what she really wants to do. And maybe she's not nearly as domesticated as everybody has wanted to make it look. You know. that's, what they, that's what they're afraid of in Saudi Arabia. You bet, you bet, you bet. That's exactly where this image came from. And that's one reason why we would say it's, it's, it's rampant. And the other thing is because the definition of infidelity has been rather ex elastic. You know, what do we talk about when we talk about cheating? Are we talking about just having an affair? Are we talking about porn? Are we talking about massages with happy ending? Are we talking about chat rooms? Are we talking about sugar dads? Are we talking what? And the definition seems to be expanding all the time. There are more and more things which we today experience and, and describe as being across the line. So because of those two things, infidelity is on the rise all the time. And the third reason why it is higher than we think is because everybody lies about it.
everybody lies about it. So it's very hard to have any statistics. And the way people lie about it is that men have always lied to the up, men exaggerate, and women underrepresent. Because mm. men get boosted by talking about how many conquests they have had, whereas women get shunned and judged for it. So the women have always lied by making it less, and men have always lied by pretending it was more. Huh. Worldwide, what worldwide. What tend to be the what tends to be the triggers for affairs today? So I think there are two primary categories. You know, there are the reasons that have to do with with the relationship one is in, the, the feeling of neglect, the feeling of indifference, the feelings of contempt, the feelings of loneliness in particular, the feelings of sexual frustration, the feelings of deadness inside, things that really emerge from a relationship that, um, that has become either intensely conflictual or intensely estranged, which is another the, the flip side of that, and where people basically are hungry for want, for care, for attention, for presence, for someone who laughs at their jokes, for someone who appreciates them, for the basics of human nourishments, which they no longer feel at home. And so typically, of course, people say, then why don't they divorce? Because it's not so simple for everybody. Because there are a lot of other considerations that happen inside a marriage or inside a committed relationship that people also feel beholden to. But there's a whole other group that I find much more interesting. And that's the notion that even in happy marriages, people cheat. So, you see, when I wrote Mating in Captivity, it would not have been interesting to write a book of people who can't stand each other and don't want to have any sex with each other. It's kind of obvious. What really was interesting to me is what you asked me before. It's all these people who would come to my workshops, to my office, to our sessions together to say, we love each other very much, we have no sex. Now that becomes interesting. How come? What happens there? And then the same thing happened around infidelity. To talk about bad marriages, bad relationships, all sorts, where people therefore stray, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? They've done this forever, you know. But to talk about the fact that people do this, even when they come in and they say, I love my partner, I would never want to leave my partner, I'm having an affair. Now I become curious, what is that about? You know, and so I've gone for the for the ones that are not so simple. It's not about pathology. It's not about narcissism or borderline issues or addiction or or attachment issues. It's people who are committed, who love their partner, and who are experiencing a part of themselves in another relationship that they don't bring home, and they, not because they can't find it at home sometimes, but because they don't want it at home. And that became a whole new thing. And the bottom, the, the, the essential line that came up over the six years of that is people who would say, all over the world, people would say, when they described their affair, that they felt alive. And that aliveness meant that it was an experience where they didn't feel that sense of responsibility, burden, um, obligation that they had to their family, which they loved but which they didn't know how to diminish in order to connect again with their passion and their aliveness. It wasn't sex, it was desire and aliveness. And then they said, I said, maybe sometimes when people have an affair, it's not that they want to leave the person that they are with, but they want to leave the person that they have themselves become. And it's 
Yes, in the, pres in the, present. in the present. And it's not that they want to find another partner. What they're looking for is another self. And so I began to think, when I think about affairs, it's always a dual perspective. It's a growth and expansion and self-discovery on one side, hurt, betrayal, and neglect or rejection on the other side. And it's really what it did to you and what it meant to me. At the heart of affairs, you have betrayal, and at the heart of affairs, you have longing and loss. You know, it's, it's Longing for the lost parts of oneself. Mm, mm, that makes so much sense. You know, I've always said to couples, you know, you, you and I both know the six human needs, and many of my audience knows it, the need for certainty, the need for uncertainty, variety. That's that, that same balance that we have between wanting something and needing something simultaneously, the need to feel significant, unique, and special, the need to feel love and connection. To be significant, you got to be special, separate. To be connected, you got to be together. And then the spiritual needs to grow and to contribute. And I always tell couples, you know, whenever I hear couples, they always say, I gave him or I gave her everything. And I always say everything except what they needed. Because if you give them what they needed, then leave them. I've never heard anybody say, and maybe, I don't know, 50,000 couples or 100,000 couples I've probably dealt with over time. I've never heard somebody say, you know, I have so much certainty with him or with her that they love me. And, and they're always surprising me. There's, there's just so much variety in our relationship. And I feel like the most important person on earth to them, so significant. And we have such deep love and we're growing and contributing. I want the F out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody does that. And what we, I think what happens is that people make judgments in these relationships um, and they don't understand. I've, I've had, um, without mentioning names, because I never mention names unless the person talks about it. It's pretty private. But it's a very famous person I could tell you without telling you their name. Who Anyone listening in just about any country would know. That's how famous. A woman, incredibly brilliant lady, um, a person of tremendous intelligence, a person with huge heart, a person beloved by people around the world, a person who's very successful in relationships, lots of friends, very successful financially. And this woman came to me in confidence and just said, I hate myself because she said, I'm having this affair. It's been going on forever, but I can't break it off. And what's wrong? And what you always find out, I always tell people, I say, just look at these six needs and measure them zero to 10. I said, tell me about uh, your husband. You know, let's look at the first need of certainty. How certain are you he loves him? Zero to 10. And she'll say, oh, a total 10. He totally loves me. I love him. And then I'd say, okay, how about variety? And you'll see this drop off almost always like, well, not a lot of surprises, zero to 10, you know, maybe a three, and they really mean a two, you know? And then I'll say, well, tell me about, you know, how significant does this person make you feel? They say, today, I just don't feel significant with them. I'd say, you know, minus one. And then I'll say, how about, you know, the idea that this person that, you know, you have this deep love. And almost always with that person, the person that they're married to, they'll say, oh my God, I have such a deep love for this person. So they have certainty and love met by that person. Growth, not so much, contribution a little bit. And I'll say, tell me about your affair. And then they light up like a Christmas tree. And then they'll say, oh my God. And I'll say, how certain are you that they love you and be with you forever? And they go, uh, uh, zero to 10. They go, uh, six. You know, that uncertainty. And I'll go, how about variety? Oh my God, a 20. I mean, I can't stop thinking about them. They're surprising me. They do this, they do that. How significant they make you feel. Oh my God, like the most important person with constantly thinking about me, sharing with me. Um, love you. Well, yeah, I know she loves me, you know. So what I almost always find is people split up sometimes and they're trying to meet, they meet some of their needs to their partners you've described, those stability type ones. And then they meet some of their other needs to somebody else, but it violates their own values. Like this woman, honesty is who she is. And she's just tearing herself up. And I try to explain to people, people will violate even their own values 
to meet their needs. If you think you're going to lose love and love is the thing you value most, people will lie even though they're not a liar and they feel bad about it. And so I think it's really important for people listening to understand that we create these triggers in each other and that if, if you really understand your partner's needs and can fill your partner's needs and you can make sure you're fitting all of them, the variety, the significance ones, that's when your personal relationship, your intimate relationship can feel like an affair. You know, my wife has so many personalities, I feel like I've had multiple affairs. <laughs> she shows up in so many different ways. But tell me, how do you heal? And a lot of people think, you know, today, you said something um, in one of your talks that I saw where you said, the new shame is staying. Comment yeah. on that. You know, what is, what is keeping people from healing these things and developing a new level of relationship? What is it in our culture that's doing that? And how do you heal a relationship if it can be healed from an affair? So, I mean, first of all, everything you just said is music to my ears. I mean, we, we speak, it's, it's, I'm reminded of how close our, our view and our language is. You know, you have your vocabulary, but, but uh, it's exactly that. They split off the, the adventure on one side, the freedom, the novelty, the surprise, and all of that. And then the other side becomes the stability, the security, the safety. And the, the and, the and the love. And the reason I asked the question is like, why? Because the majority of the people that I work with are not chronic cheaters. They're not philanderers. They are actually people who often have been devoted, loyal, and, and faithful for decades. And one day they cross a line that they never thought that they would cross. And so the question always was for a glimmer of what? Why would people be willing to risk everything they've built? including the things they've put in place themselves, all the rules that they've put in place. Why would they transgress that to experience what? What is it that people are going for? And that surprise, that novelty, that, that aliveness, that transcendence, where the, the word, you know, you put the other words to it, is really, it's like the call of the sirens. It's just irresistible. It, they'll destroy everything for that. And it, that has so much not to do just with sex. It's way more complicated. And when people begin to understand that, they also understand that it's not always the fault of the marriage. It's not marriage who did this to you. It's also what you allowed to do to yourself inside your marriage and what happened between you and your partner. So... The things that help people recover from an affair, and there's multiple affairs, and not every one of them can be recovered from. Let's be really clear about that. But the first thing is this. No matter what it meant for me, no matter how important it was, it did hurt you, and it was a violation of an agreement that we had. We're talking about affairs. We're not talking about open or non-monogamy. We're talking about people who went and did something in secret. And for that, I need to be able to acknowledge that I hurt you. So the first thing when people know from any history of trauma is the acknowledgement of the wrongdoing. I know I hurt you. This was a hurtful thing to do. That acknowledgement, the remorse and the guilt that comes for that, even if I don't feel guilty about the affair itself, even if I find complete justification and, and entitlement in my affair. An affair is always a plot of entitlement. Ultimately, it's something I did for myself. It is selfish. This is a given. 
And people are selfish in their relationships in all kinds of ways, not just by having affairs for that matter. So the first thing is my acknowledgement, the guilt, the, the remorse. The second one is my then proving to you how much I want to stay with you. And that means that I give you back your value because in an affair, basically, you've been devalued. You've been replaced by someone else. And that making you, the trust is not the trust that I won't do it again. The trust is the trust that I love you and I want to be with you. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions that often people have. It's like, how can I trust him or her? To what? To not think about the other person? To not call? To not do it again? That's, so what if they don't do it again, but they stay cold like a, you know, like an ice block? That's, that's useless. You want the person to be back with you, to claim you again, like they did in the beginning. And this is why sometimes people will tell you in the aftermath of an affair, people are having levels of conversations at the level of depth and honesty that they haven't had in years. And sex like they haven't had in years because they find themselves back at the beginning because nothing is certain anymore. That's it. Exactly what you described. They finally brought the edge home. <laughs> Yeah, that's in a crazy. crazy way but from that place they can start to rebuild and so the first crisis phase is really the doer has to, uh, to be responsive to the person who was hurt and in the second phase it's really more what it did to you and what it meant for me and it's me understanding why you did this how you got there and for that you have to really have a whole different set of questions than the typical you know give me the list of all the hotels that you were at that tells you nothing that tells you nothing what you really want to understand is what what was that like for you you know where and and how was it and how is it for you to come home and and you have to feel okay to say I, will, I love this person. I hate this person and I love this person. I want to kick you and I want to hold you and I want you to get the fuck out and I want you to kiss me. And all of these contradictory feelings are happening all at once. And at this particular moment, I feel more alive with you than I probably have felt in years and I am in pain but alive. And it's this mind fuck that you're in at this point. And from that place, I have to tell dozens, hundreds of people, it's totally okay to say, I will work this through because I still like you, despite the fact that you've done all of this to me, or I still want to be with you, and not to feel that the shame in staying, because the only thing today that has dignity is to leave. Leaving is not Explain a... Explain that, that's crazy. It's like people tell, I watch couples do this, and I watch the friends around them saying, both men and women, just dump them, get rid of them. They may have invested 10, That's 20, right. 30 years. They actually do love each other. That's right. But the social influence today is so different. Why? I think it's a number of things. First of all, for many, many years, for years, 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 when men cheated, women had no option but to stay. You know, this is the Hillary Clinton story, right? This is a lot of people who never forgave her for that because... Well, she could have left. It's the fact that she chose to stay when she had the option to go. That's the new shame. And therefore, many people then have a secret from their own friends because they can't speak to their friends because all they will tell them is throw the dog on the curb, you know, kick, kick the bitch out of the house. So 
it's this bizarre thing that now I have a secret from the people who should help me, you know, about what my partner did to me. It's, it's, it really is a, a, a strange situation. So the first thing is, I think, for many women, they had no option. And so now that there is an option, the sense is you really should go. The second thing is divorce, uh, infidelity has become the leading cause of divorce in the West because it's become the ultimate betrayal, because it shatters the grand ambition of love, because I thought I had found the one. And this tells me I'm not. I'm not your one. I actually am replaceable. I'm not indispensable. And that shatters my identity, which it doesn't do in the traditional world at all. You know, this is not what it's about. And in and this idea that it's become a bigger, you know, in the United States, people are more judgmental of infidelity than they are of cloning, of suicide, um, of many other things. It's it's a bigger betrayal than anything else. It's very very interesting how this has become. The, the, the break of the contract. You can steal my money, you can beat me, you can do a lot of things, you can be contemptuous to me, you can be neglectful of me. None of these other betrayals, people will say, you should leave, you should leave, you should leave. This one, it's like one strike and you're out. And um, and that needs to and be... Is, and is that true worldwide, though? Is it like, it, you know, in a place like France or places of that nature, isn't there a different cultural association or is the American culture kind of spread to the whole world now? I think the American culture has spread. I mean, this comes with individualism as well. In France also, infidelity is a leading cause of divorce. I, and for all of you who think I have a French accent, I'm from the Flemish part of Belgium. <laughs> I'm not French. <laughs> but, but what is different in France is that the, the issue is not I leave because you cheated on me. The issue is I leave because you fell in love with someone else. Interesting. So there, there's the distinction. You know, whenever couples go through this, my whole component is to get both to own it because, like like you said, the person at the affair, I don't support that in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, you know, no matter how thin you slice it, there's two sides. And there's these other things that people do that make a person who look outside the relationship they don't. They don't offer their intimacy. They don't offer love. They're not honest. They they can be verbally abusive. They can be physically abusive, and yet the, they'll be totally outraged by this individual. And what yes. I try to get people to do is to say it takes two to tango, and this cultural conditioning. It doesn't take humanity into it. These are human beings trying to meet their needs, and you're part of that process. Unless we can own our responsibility in it, also, and I know that's not culturally PC then couples are just going to run to the same problem again with someone else or never have a deep, intimate relationship again. Would you agree or disagree with that? I think totally. I mean, look, I write about affairs. That doesn't mean I condone affairs or I justify affairs. It's irrelevant. I'm trying to understand an experience that so many people go through and we need a new conversation about it because what's happening is insufficient. It's not helping couples and it doesn't really allow them to tap into their resilience. It's very clear that you can, have, you can say no Go to your partner for 12 years physically to any contact, but your partner goes out once. This is a betrayal and the other one is not. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, it's very, but it is also clear that there are plenty of partners who are not participants. You know, I actually, I've seen it many times. I've often said when I see someone have an affair, I ask them, have you lost someone in the last few years? What does that mean? There is something about when about death? No, yes, life is short. When you know earthquakes, 
<laughs> floods, 9-11, my father dies, my friend went too soon, I got bad news at the doctor. When mortality hits, people say, is this it? Is there more? And it is something about that that lets them cross the line that they would never have crossed before. And it has nothing to do with their partner. And sometimes I have to say to the partner, I'm really sorry to tell you, but it has nothing to do with you. It happened to you, but you have nothing to do with this. Can you understand that? And that, no-fault affairs, people don't understand that. No-fault divorce, they finally got. But no-fault affairs, they still don't understand. It's actually, it is this person's responsibility. And, and you may have some compassion for it, and ultimately you learn to understand it. He didn't do this or she didn't do this to do something to you. He or she did this to do something for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're... they're- well, no, I just, Esther, I love how you're always constantly just expanding the definition of sex and the meaning of why someone might ever step out. I've heard you say before that people often do what they think they're allowed to do. And even just hearing the first time you taught that when, you know, and hearing the couples interact in your podcast, it's true how sometimes where there's loss of a loved one, of a parent or grief, and all of a sudden, in some cases, that might be the first opportunity of permission that a person feels like correct i'm now in tone like how you teach you get what you tolerate in the yeah. same ways it's like to feel how someone's rules can bend in situations contextually i think has been so important for me to learn myself of explaining my own behavior and in partners that i've been with just wow that makes sense that maybe had nothing to do with me whether i'm the one doing it or on the other side just the motivations behind things and it's just the questions that you both bring people yeah. to ask of themselves and of their partners what would you say to someone, Mary, you shared an experience with me at one point, and uh, if you discover that someone you're in a relationship is having an affair with you, so what, how does somebody deal with that moment? Say that again? That how, would, how would you, what would you recommend for someone if they discover, you know, inadvertently, for example? I was sharing with Tone in, in the age of um, so many digital relationships yeah. with computers and laptops and phones always accessible in relationships. I have had an experience where it's like in one second, your whole, you know, a whole year of your life can unravel if you find something of your partners, whether you meant to or not. And just the impact of that moment today that I think is probably a pretty common experience for people where in one second, oh, my God, this just my whole life just unraveled. And I say, and I say it is absolutely gutting because you no longer just find a little receipt in the pocket. Today you find the entire digital archive. And so it's a death by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, that, and I, that's all I can say. I say, oh my God, this is gutting. Do yourself a favor. Don't read every message. Don't. You won't be able to get them out of your head. Don't look at the pictures. It's like watching the towers burn after 9-11. Don't. Don't stand there and, and stare you know, and do. I have, a, I have a dear friend who I love dearly, who his, his, uh, yeah, his lady had an affair, his wife had an affair, and he found videos, and he uh, watched uh, all the videos, and it yeah. just destroyed. I said, why'd you do that? But it's like, you know, you often say, like, if someone has an affair and you're trying to heal it, don't ask them all the details. Don't ask them, were they better than me? Don't ask them, where did you meet? Don't, you know, those questions people want to ask. Why should they not ask that? And how do you, why do people... Are, or, Esther, also, like, what are the questions to ask? And yes, that's even better. are the quality better. questions to go to your partner right. where you want to just be like, what the heck? Are you... <laughs> so, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, yeah. 
this woman's been dropping f bombs like crazy. I don't know. What do you suggest? Somebody discovers this. What should they do? What should they communicate? How should they deal with it? So the first, it's a lot of different things, and part of that is actually where the podcast comes in. The podcast was really, I mean, it's a lot of things for the podcast, but because I, I for the first time, opened the door of couples therapy. You know, nobody actually knows what goes on in the antechamber of a couple's lives. That's the whole thing, and and couples have and and nobody talks about this. So. I wanted these conversations to become public. You know, for a long time, the wise person sat in the center of the square, and now they're sitting in some office with closed doors. And to open those conversations again is to bring the, the wise person back into the village, you know, in the middle, and 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 have have the windows open up. So what I say is, um, what do you know so far? What do you, you know? Do you know the person? Uh, have you wondered about this? Is, are you surprised? Uh, have you been suspicious? This is a, a, a bucket here. They're not in order. Have you been suspicious of this? Has there been any signs for you that you, that you began to wonder is something going on? Uh, do you want to know more? When they have a question, I always say to them, do you want to know the answer to your question or do you want your partner to know that you have the question? Hmm, that's really brilliant. You understand? Yes. Because I, I want you to know, I'm asking myself, you know, did she scream? You know, was she? The, but I don't want to know the answer because the answer I want, I will stay awake months later, still churning in my head with that answer. But I want you to know where, where my head takes me. And it takes me to these crazy places. Like I can't recognize myself with my obsession and with my, my scavenging for the truth. And then I want to know, you know, do you, I would say, look, I completely know you want to immerse yourself in the digital archive and just like, you know, spend your night there reading. I promise you, you know, this is, you, you, you make your first question. So what you want to ask is, you know, were you looking for this? Were you looking for this or did this just happen and you didn't resist it? You know, how did you justify it to yourself? What gave you the permission? Did you think about me? Did you think about how it would affect me or us? Were you afraid to lose me? Did you want me to find out? Did you hope I would never find out? Did you think about our children? Um, why this person? You know, what, because I think it makes a big difference if you go to the best friend or if you go to somebody that nobody knows. I mean, there are gradations here of, of betrayal, you know. Um, what was it like when you would come home, you know? Um, did, do you think I should forgive you? Do you wish I didn't forgive you on some level? Do you want me to leave so that you don't have to make the decision? I have 150 questions on my list that I give them, and they can choose from there. But those are not the questions for day one. In day one, you have really more, uh, you don't, you, you want to ask what happened? How long has this been going on? Um, have you been safe? Do I have something to worry about? Is there another child? Um, do I know this person? Is this person likely to come after us? 
Um, you know, I saw this couple a few days ago, and um, and the wife absolutely wants to go and meet the other woman, and he's begging her not to go. Why? Because I think he lied so much to the to the other woman that he he's a, he would think he he realizes it's monstrous. It's monstrous for, for for so many years he lied so much to the other person, and then he thinks the wrath of the other person is going to make her want to destroy them, which is totally understandable too. I mean, this is there's a reason people talk about crimes of passion, even if there's not a literal crime, you know. And then I heard yesterday that she didn't go to see the other woman, but the other woman came to their house, and they are, it's devastation. I mean, this you, you this is everyday therapy. This is not like a once a week kind of thing. You're holding a system, and what you want in the beginning is not to make any decisions. You are, your limbic system is hijacked. You can't think. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make sure. decisions, and don't confuse the feelings about the affair with the feelings about your marriage and about your life and about the fact that your whole life is a lie and is a fraud. You, it, all of these thoughts are totally normal and. Natural. Natural, but don't make decisions based on that. You want to be as much calm as you can. You need a container. You need a good therapist who holds this for you, who gives you reassurance, who tells you that you will get through this one way or another, together or apart, but you will. You want calm, structure, reassurance, and you want to make sure that you're safe. And if you need to leave the house for a few days, you leave the house for a few days. And you want to find one or two people that you can talk to and who are not going to tell you what you should do, who are going to be there as friends and just listen while you figure it out, rather than project their own ideas on what you should do and how you should live your life. And that's what you're going to do for the first month or two. That's it. That's a plenty. So tell me, you know, the beauty of you with this podcast. Let's talk about this because we're going to be wrapping up and I want people to have a place to get resources. You know, one of the things that Sage and I did years ago is we created an ultimate relationship program and it said, instead of just talking about these principles, let's take real interventions and let's show real people raw as it's happening and I haven't seen anybody else do that before other than now you're doing that. I'm thrilled you're doing that. And one of the things that shows up when I looked at some of these, I was struck by how often you people talk about what they weren't getting and you ask them, did you ever ask for it? Yes. And people, why don't we, like almost universally, people don't ask. Why, I want, I'm going to give you two questions. Why don't we ask, and then we've talked about this, what are the two or three things you must not do in this situation? What are the two or three most important things to do in this situation? Then I'm going to lead you to the final question, which is, can real greatness come, if goodness come, from healing an affair? Yeah. So, um, the podcast came about because I had, I had worked on the Showtime series, The Affair. And... Somebody from TED. Oh, the, fi the fictional yes, series you're yes, talking about. Yes, yes, right? I was the yes. consultant mm -hmm. on that show, and uh, and then June Cohen from TED came to me and said we would like to do something similar in a podcast version. And I said, couples is not like that. He said, she said, in couples actually, and it can be romantic couples, but I work with co-founder couples in companies. I mean, it's all couples. It's often what I say that I didn't mean to say, but that then makes you say the thing that you didn't really want to say either but you think that I made you say this thing and then I think that you set me up to do something which then leads me to say the thing that I've been wanting to tell you for so long but I didn't mean to say to you in those circumstances and it goes like that in this total circular thing. Oh my God. Tony's laughing 
I totally relate to everything you said, so I don't know what I'm missing. Oh my I'm god. Like, exactly, I'm totally <laughs> so I said, if you want to try a, set, a podcast on that, I would love to show you what couples are really like. And I said, come and let's do one session. We've had almost a thousand couples apply just to be on the show. Um, and, uh, wow. and the first season has more issues related to infidelity, sexuality, other issues. But now we are in season two, which will be released on October 6th, and everything's going on iTunes. And, you know, I'm doing all kinds of couplings, all kinds of parents. Uh, I'm going to do siblings. I'm going to do male friends. I mean, it's, it really is going to look at dyads. I'm going to do co-founders. Um, and so... And I wanted to, what happens is that when you listen to the others, you actually realize that you're standing in front of your own mirror. You, you think you're being a voyeur, but in fact, you're learning the language for the conversations that you may want to have yourselves. I cannot tell you how much that has been my experience, Esther. I have to commend you and tell you anyone who's listening to you. It's so, you always say to them, especially when a couple stands up, they're usually either a warning or an example. And for me, just listening to this on Audible, Esther, you working with these couples that are, the one I listen to in particular, say that they're a year out of the affair from the infidelity. Yeah. And I'm listening, and like you said, okay, I might think I'm on the outside, and I, I'll catch myself feeling like, oh, wow, I would never do that, and I should be, or I totally do that, and I shouldn't. It's just such right. a powerful way to witness and take, with takeaways to adjust your own behavior or right, questions. Right, right. So where should we begin is really that. It's that original audio series in which um, I would love for you, without having gone through the same experience, to get the universal message. Couples are, the, the, it's the company that has the most amount of expectations put onto it with the least amount of help and the biggest amount of disillusion. And I wanted to give that sense of hope. These people come in, they spend three hours with me, they come in with one story, they leave with another. And when mm. you listen, I want you to be able to change your story. And like you, Tony, I often say, the story describes what you go through, but it also shapes what you go through. And so uh, you, people change are... Change your story, change your life, right? Exactly. That's really what it is. Exactly. Right? People are stuck in their story. And in, the, in every episode, they come in with one story and they leave with another. And that's often about as much as you can do in three hours, but it inspires people that's, all over the world around that. Completely like changing and I always tell people divorce your story of limitation of your pain of being injured of being a victim and marry the truth that you're the creator of your life you're not a manager of your circumstances and you can change anything if you can own that responsibility address just for a moment where do they go get this because I want to make sure people know where to go yeah. so there's three different places people go these days there is um the podcast, which is Where Should We Begin, which at this moment is only on Audible. October 6th, it goes on iTunes. Great. There is um, the YouTube channel, which is a series of videos called Moments, where I do four-minute snapshots of a lot of these topics, because not everybody wants to read a whole book. And so it's on multiple subjects related to relationships, always thinking about how I can make people have better relationships with that sense of aliveness and vitality that they want, and how can they learn it to do it. And then there is uh, a thing which I think is very interesting for, for the people that are with you. It's called Sessions with a Step Well. And basically, like you, I think that 
you know, you're like you're somebody who talks to a lot of different people, but a lot of people today are having siloed conversations. And Sessions with Me is basically a, an educational platform for coaches, for therapists, for people who are working on relationships and who want to be in dialogue across disciplines and across cultures. So I bring the best researchers, anthropologists, therapists, coaches from everywhere who work in the field of relationships to the platform and I interview them and then people can have live questions and community forums with them so that we develop a new conversation that is more truth-telling, that is less judgmental, that is more diverse about the subject of relationships. Everybody understands today that it's at the center. You know, when I again with you and I would go talk about relationships in companies, it was the soft skills, it was the things that you brought somebody in when there was a real crisis. Nobody took it seriously. But today everybody understands that the relationship quality is what determines the success of the company. On the inside, between the founders, when I do the co-founders work, we know that more than 50% of startups fail because of the relationships between the co-founders falls apart. And then if they had the best idea. So Everything hinges on this. It's not just a romantic relationship, but the romantic couple is the one that I have spent my time studying because it gives lessons to everybody else. People have affairs in companies today too. In the gig economy, people have affairs all the time. <laughs> you know, where they go off on the side to have their their sense of aliveness. So I, I've, I've. You know, I have to tell everyone, I've learned an enormous amount from our collaborations together and from the trust and the confidence that you've given me over the, the 14 years that we have worked together and, and, and then just brought my own personal sauce to it, you know? Yes, you certainly have. <laughs> I just, I've always loved working together, doing interventions together is one of the things I enjoy most because there's very few people I can pitch and catch with other than my wife. And, and in this category, Same. you're just such a genius. So I really thank you for that. You're also, your book, The State of Affairs, is coming out when? October 10. Awesome. In the US, October, yeah, October 10 for the US, October 12 for the UK, and then uh, for the Dutch, for the French, for the Italian, for the Spanish. It's all happening as we go into 218. But October 10 is the state of affairs for the US. Wonderful. I just, I hope that people listening today, the real outcome I wanted today was to talk about something that most people just, it's taboo to talk about with a person who's got more experience about how to guide people through this. And I'm hoping that people listening to us will remember now that the quality of your life is the quality of relationships and business and life and certainly your intimate life, the most important one of all. But that it isn't something that just comes naturally, that we just all assume that, that it's like learning to run a business. It's not something that just happens. It's something you've got to make it a study. If you want life to get better, if you want your relationship to get better, you got to get better. If you want things to change, you got to change. You've got to master these skills. And so while I teach a whole body of knowledge in this area, you're the one other person that I have the most respect for in this area and why I wanted to bring you on. So I hope those listening will pursue this at whatever level they want, whether it's on video or your book or all the above. But it's something you've got to dedicate time to. And it doesn't have to be because there's a problem. The ideal time to do it is when there's not a problem. So you become skilled and you never have these types of problems. But I want to finish with the most important question. We've alluded to it a little bit. But, you know, you, you talked recently about how, uh, I think in your TED Talk or somewhere, I was really moved by it. You talked about, we're all aware today that we used to have one job, one career, one, you know, for a lifetime. People worked for, for IBM forever and that was it, right? And today, people have you know, between four and 12 careers, depending upon what generation they're going to be in. Tell me, how does that relate to relationship and what, what goodness, what even greatness? I sound, that sounds absurd to say to somebody today because most people have that 
you know, the shame of staying, but what greatness can come from a staying and working it out and transforming your affair into the quality of relationship you desire and deserve? So I think that the question that you asked before, you know, what have I done? What has been my contribution? How have I invested in maintaining a, a meaningful passionate or alive or, 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 or fun relationship with my partner? Have I done my part? Have I shown up? You know, have I done my part? I think everybody needs to reckon with that question. You can do it in relation to your kids or to your spouse, but at some point you ask yourself, have I done, have I put in the best of myself here? And the answer to that question has got to be not did you give what you wanted to give, but did you give what they needed? Right. Yes. That's the biggest challenge. Exactly. I see. People say to me, I gave everything, everything except what they needed no. or they wouldn't have left That's you. That's right. right. You gave what you wanted. And typically we give to the other, not only what we want, but we give to the other that which we want them to give to us. Yes, it's so true. You understand? Yes. So if I, like if, I, if I like to be left alone when I'm upset, I tend to do that for you. In fact, but in fact, you are the person who really needs a hug when you're upset. We tend to do for the other that which we want them to do for us. And that is not what they want from us. So are you able to actually set yourself aside for a moment and, listen, and, and pay attention to what they ask? And can you do it gracefully? Can you actually do something for the other just because it makes them feel good? And then, like you, I would jump right away to the other person and i say, and can you receive the fact that somebody did something just because it's you, even though they would never do it if you were not there? Oh, no, I want them to do this because I wanted them to want it as well. No, they don't want it. They're doing it to please you. Can you feel that important and actually take it mm. rather than want them to want what you want so that you don't have to owe them anything? Mm. <laughs> okay. Right? So I, I, I think what, you, what happens today is that... Um, there is a there is a short leash. There is a kind of I don't I shouldn't have to deal with this. You know this is more than what it's worth. This shouldn't be so hard. And I'm like saying, excuse me, you're willing to work in your business that hard, but in your marriage it should come easy? No, my dear, it's not. It will not. And that means that it's not hard work. It's also creative work. It's fulfilling you know, work. And you want. It's fulfilling work. If you want to have a nice meal, you're going to go get the right wines and you're going to go to the market and you're going to pick your ingredients and you're going to be artful about it. I will help you be artful about it. If you just want to do fast food, I don't know that I am, you know, you don't need me for that. You're doing that perfectly fine on your own. <laughs> but fine. you will, you know, but you will look like you look and you will feel like you feel. If you say, I want something more, you have to invest in it. And I ask people, you know, people will, will read books about business, people will read books about investment, people will read books about um, which boat to buy. But if you ask them, when's the last time you actually read a book about how to be a better lover? Boop, nothing. And I'm like, excuse me. And, you, and you're surprised? And you no, you know, bring the best of you and then we will start having it. Then we have something to talk about. And I'll help you get the best of you and put out the most of you when it comes to your relationship so that you will not lie there and know ultimately when you reckon with your truth that you just did it half fast, that you tried to get away with it, that you did the bare minimum. 
Because you do the bare minimum, you do, you're going to get the bare minimum. Your children will know it, your friends will know it, and your spouse will know it. The only person who can actually leave is your spouse and your friends. Your children can't leave as, as easily. They may ultimately do better. Show up. Show up. It's a, it's a, and, and I've never known someone who ultimately, when they do the right thing, feels bad about it. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. You know, and wishes they hadn't. You know, there is integrity. And passion, and in, you know, what happens in passion, and this is a very interesting thing in affairs as well, is that while a person is lying to their partner, they often feel that they are for the first time experiencing truth with themselves. Mm. You know, you've got these two things happening at once, you know. It's like they're the way, when, and so I would say, you know, stop being a pleaser, ask for what you want, and when you ask, you may have to accept a no. And you may have to accept that sometimes a person will be hurt by it. And then you will know that you really are fully invested in the relationship, that you're not just avoiding conflict. And, you you know, in the end, you resent it, but you do what the other one wants, and you hope that you get your reward for having been good. Don't be good. Hmm. What good can come, what good, good or greatness can come out of a healed affair tell me that because you've dealt with so many and seen oh, that. tell me what's the beauty you know, that can come from it if people stick it out and break it's, through it's your line it's your line what if the worst day of your life became the best day of mm -hmm. your life that's your yes. line right it's exactly that it's 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 that day when you thought everything just fell apart i mean everything falls apart you think because you know it's one thing not to know your future and to know that the future is unpredictable, but it's another thing to suddenly question your past and to think that you can no longer rely on anything that you thought was and you question everything. So from that place, when people really begin to heal and they, they rebuild, they actually begin, they become a new marriage inside this relationship. And it's not just they stay together because they don't want to split, and it's not they stay together and they never talk about it. It's they actually start to say, what can we learn from this? How are we going to turn this crisis into an opportunity? What does it tell us about the stuff that we let go by the wayside, the stuff we neglected, the laziness we took on, the complaints? that became ours and we, and now they begin to really be intentional and diligent about it and people will tell you they, they, it's less when my partner cheated on me it becomes when we had a crisis 10 years ago we had a crisis it becomes a we crisis and it becomes our crisis which we took as an opportunity to say you know what I really like this person but our relationship is in dire need of a tune up or a complete new piece and we worked on this and turned it around. We became attentive to each other in ways we had never been. We changed the power dynamic. We changed the financial issues. We changed the sexual relationship. We started to listen to each other in a whole different way. We, we, you know, we showed up for each other. And from that place, they tell you, you know, this was the worst thing that happened to us, but it just took us to a place where our relationship is better than it ever was before. That's what they tell you. That's beautiful. And that can only you happen know. if it's not moralistic, it's not judgment, because you can't influence anyone, you can't understand anyone, you can't appreciate anyone while you're judging them. And the ability to take that responsibility and to dig into all our sides, I think is the most beautiful thing that you teach, because without that, 
you have nothing but lies. You have lies to yourself, thinking that it's all someone else, everything. I always tell people, you want to change another person, change yourself. Because we're all in a yeah, cybernetic group. Absolutely. If I come to you the same way every time, you're going to predictably come back to me. But if I can respond in completely different ways, that's the power. It's not changing your partner, it's changing yourself. And I think if we can understand each other, appreciate each other, dig underneath each other, stop the blame and say, listen, what's my part? What's our part? And I love this we crisis. Boy, that that is beautiful. And those couples, I've met them too. Their relationships are stronger. It's the old, you know, burnt out metaphor, but it's been said so many times because it's true. It's like a part of your body. When the bone breaks, where it heals becomes one of the strongest bones in the body. The same thing happens with the relationship of this nature. I'm so glad that you are doing this work and putting out your book and and giving people this vision because too many people are hurting too deeply and they're looking outside themselves for coaching from people that also don't know how to find the answer. It's like I always tell people, you don't want to go to a doctor that's ill, somebody that smokes, somebody's broken up, tell you what to do, or go to a psychiatrist that's you know on Prozac, and people do it all the time, or go to somebody who's you know broke financially, but they're giving you financial advice. It's like, this is the beauty. You've really studied the best patterns out there, and you've brought the truth to people, and the truth can set everyone free. So I hope people are inspired by this session I'm excited to see you. We're going to see you again in Maui here with our Platinum Partners in, in October. So I'm looking forward to yes, that again. Yes, 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 yes. As we're going to leave, is there anything we've not shared that you want to leave as a final note? Because I know I got you on your airplane here. I think I've taken you over your time. I don't want you to miss your flight. So I'll, 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 I'll add two things that are important in this remake, but it's all in the book as well. It's this. When you ask a question... Don't go for the sordid details. Don't ask the detective questions. Ask the investigative questions. Ask the ones that help you understand who your partner is and what this will represent for the two of you. That separation is so crucial. It doesn't matter how many orgasms the other person had, or if the scarf cost 300, it's bad, it's bad, that's it. It will be worse than what you thought anyway. Don't worry about that. (laughs) So I can tell you, and no matter what you ask, there is more, there is more that you will never know, always. Trust is a, a leap of faith. Trust is an active engagement with the unknown. This is what happens when you meet a partner in the beginning, and this is what happens when you rebuild a relationship after an affair. You trust as an active engagement with the unknown. That's a Rachel Botsman quote, a great woman who talks about trust. And the second thing is, um, and now I forgot what the next thing was going to be. Well, think, oh, think of, I'll, put, I'll plant a seed while you're thinking. I always <laughs> tell people there's two forces, fear and faith. You know, what's the difference? They're both imagination because nobody knows what the future is going to really hold in any situation, right? You can do everything right and the person you love could die. You could be caught in an accident. You could be killed. You could have cancer. But the difference between fear and faith is they're both imagination, but fear is imagination undirected where you let the environment run you. It's like weeds. It grows automatically. Faith is deciding to be certain, even though there's no evidence. And we're born with faith. It's not a learned skill. You can learn it as well. But I always tell people, how do you drive down a freeway or not even a freeway? How about a road where there's nothing but a yellow dotted line to divide you from crazies that are going at you at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour? And you know every single day people get killed. Every single day somebody falls asleep or they're drunk and they come across the line. So how do you leave the house? Because you're born with faith, because you know without faith, there is no future. Without faith, you'll never have what you desire. Without faith, you'll never be able to create anything. And creating faith in the middle of uncertainty is what leaders do. 
And people that listen to this type of podcast are those types of individuals. So I'm calling to them, saying, bring the certainty that you use in sports or use in business or use to lead or use with your children. Bring that to this situation and you can make it stronger than it's ever been before. But if you allow fear to dominate you instead of faith, then there's nothing that's going to make anything last in your life long term. You'll just leave this relationship only to find yourself in a new bag of challenges in the next one or finding yourself alone because you're afraid to re-engage. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And I love our conversations and I want to continue the conversation with all of the people that are listening to us here today. And that means you find me on all the social channels as well. I think that this is a time in the world where listening has become crucial because people are not listening to each other nearly enough and everybody's talking pretty much in echo chambers and listening to your partner at a time when things are the most polarized is your biggest challenge. But when you can do that, you have really demonstrated your ability to enter into the shoes of another person. And there is nothing bigger to expand yourself than the ability to also be able to stop thinking about yourself for a minute. <laughs> It's kind of the both end. You want to be able to tap into yourself and you also on occasion just want to, when somebody tells you something, don't answer. Just ask another question. Just be curious for a minute. It'll make you more humble and it'll help you with the fear of the unknown and the uncertain. It's, uh, I, I couldn't have said it better. So it's a treat. We'll be in Maui together, me via screen this time, but we'll still be there. Yes. And, um, and I would love to continue this conversation with everybody involved in every of the mediums that the world is affording us these days. Uh, I'm sure they will. And I'm really grateful we've had this conversation. I hope everyone listening really thinks about a relationship is not a place to go get. It's a place to go give. Certainly you want to receive there also, but if your focus is on giving, you'll be lit up. You know, what, what we give, we get to experience. What we hold back yeah. is what destroys any relationship. And holding back love is the worst thing you can do to yourself. When you think you're punishing someone else, you're really just punishing yourself. And I think that's the biggest mistake in relationships. And if we can reconnect to the heart of the giver inside of us, then we become more yeah. lovable because we are nothing but love. And it's really hard when it's real, unconditional love for anyone to turn their back on it. So your greatest gift your greatest strength and your greatest protection from the pain you fear is to go deeper into the love and giving instead of pulling back and evaluating and limiting and, and making it a transaction. What were you about to say? You know how, how I was good. No, it, it makes me think of a, a line that I, I sometimes say to my couple. I say, you know, your partner never belongs to you. At best, he or she is on loan with an option to renew. <laughs> <laughs> so make yourself worthy of renewal for God's sakes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's there. We love you dearly. Thank you for taking Me the time too. with us. Enjoy your flight. We'll see you. Uh, we'll be talking to you in October in Maui with our plots. Wonderful. Big kiss to both of you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins and Mary Buckheit. Carrie Song is our executive producer. Strategy and Distribution by Anna Yorg and Tyler Culbertson. Jamie Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Copyright Robbins Research International.